Loving Father, we do thank you for your word and pray that you would impress it on our hearts and that we would respond as obedient and faithful people. I pray that your spirit would guide us to do just that. Amen. Well, it's good to be with you again this morning. Again, thank you for your continued uh, patience as we meet here, as we gather in what we've called the gathering place for a long time. Uh, We actually got a lot of good feedback last week as people enjoyed doing something a bit different, uh, gathering around tables, seeing one another's faces, but we know it's not without some uh, kinks and twists, so thank you again for your, your patience with that. The church, capital C, was always meant to be a group that gathers. We're meant to be together. We're called the body of Christ, partly because we are connected to each other. We're one integrated form. The writer of the New Testament book of Hebrews reminds Christians, reminds the body, let us consider how we might spur one another on toward love and good deeds not giving up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another. And so as the body, we gather, we connect, we encourage one another. We like to be together. And so this, even though this feels a bit tight, it feels a bit natural and right as well. As we gather, we know that we do it not just for our own sake, not just because we like to be together, but we gather so that God might get the glory through our gatherings, through times of worship like this as we gather together this morning. But as a church, we're not meant to stay gathered. As full as this room feels, there will be a time, some point today, that no one's in this building. And that'll be the time that the church is dispersed, that we are sent out. And so the church of Jesus Christ was always meant to have this this rhythm, kind of like breathing, where we inhale, we draw together, we exhale, we are sent out. We draw together and then spread out. We're called together and then sent out. When Jesus walked the roads of Palestine, he he was magnetic. People clung to him, they came to him. Something about his personality, about his teaching, meant that people gathered wherever he was. And as they flocked to hear him and see him, more than a few tagged along as he continued to walk the roads. And as they followed him, Jesus taught them. Taught them about the kingdom of God and what it really looked like. Talked to them about what being a citizen of God's kingdom really meant. What it meant to live into the calling and identity of God's people. And as Jesus taught them, he offered many words of comfort and many words that were shocking and challenging to hear. Jesus drew disciples toward him and he trained them, he poured into them, he equipped them, and then he sent them away from him. The Gospel of Luke tells the story of a time when Jesus sent 72 of these disciples out into the nearby towns to do ministry in his name and to prepare the villages for the places Jesus had not yet been himself. We read in Luke 22, beginning at verse 14, Jesus appointed 72 other disciples, so not his original 12, and sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. He told them, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Go, I am sending you out like lambs among wolves. Do not take a purse or bag or sandals, and do not greet anyone on the road. 
When you enter a house, first say, peace to this house. If someone who promotes peace is there, your peace will rest on them. If not, it will return to you. Stay there, eating and drinking whatever they give you, for the worker deserves his wages. Do not move around from house to house. When you enter a town and are welcomed, eat what is offered to you. Heal the sick who are there and tell them the kingdom of God has come near to you. And so Jesus sends out these, these six dozen disciples. He's prepared them and sends them out essentially to make cold calls into places where Jesus has not yet been, where the name of Jesus perhaps is only a rumor at that point. They may have heard something about him, but they've not yet experienced Jesus face to face. And as Jesus sends them, he says, it's not going to be easy. And he describes them as lambs who are being sent among wolves. And I want you to think about typical odds for lambs among wolves. It usually doesn't go well. But what's interesting is we find out later in this story that all 72 make it, they survive, and in fact, they come back and they are just overflowing with stories that they share with Jesus and with, uh, and with each other about what they've seen happen as they've gone out on this mission. They describe how the Spirit of God has enabled them to do amazing things that they probably assumed only Jesus himself could do. They've been healing the sick, they've been casting out demons, and they've been teaching with authority the Word of God. And so they experience this high degree of success and come back celebrating And in this short account from Luke 22, I think we see three aspects of the dispersed church, the church when it is sent out. Three elements of the church's life that actually only take place when we go, when we leave a building like this and go out into our towns and villages and cities. When we leave our corporate gatherings and head out on our mission. And first we see that our mission that we're sent out to is an essential one. It's necessary. Jesus tells the disciples he's about to deploy that the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. So he says, as you go, do the work you're called to do, but keep praying to the Father but that even more workers will be raised up, will hear the call in their heart to go in the name of Jesus, and will serve faithfully alongside you. Jesus says, even more of God's people will be needed. He sends out 72, but says, there's going to be way more work than even 72 of you could possibly accomplish. And so they'll need to do their part, which includes asking God to raise up and send others. Jesus says that there's a harvest that needs to be brought in. And I don't know a lot about farming, but from what I've heard, uh, harvest time is a very intensive time. It's a time that's all hands on deck and things that need to be done need to be done then. Because when the crops have ripened, they need to be brought in or they will over-ripen. Or the birds and animals will come and enjoy the feast instead of the farmers. Or weather will come and destroy that harvest. Or other people will get first to market and make the, the crop less worthwhile. Harvest is an intense time. And Jesus says, I'm sending you out at the time of harvest when the fields are ripe and there's work to do. It's a time of immense opportunity and immense need. As Jesus says, I'm sending you among people who need to hear about the love of God and experience that love through you. We also see that these sent disciples are called to travel light, but they're promised they'll have all they need. 
Don't take a purse or bag or sandals, Jesus instructs them. When you enter a house, first say, peace to this house, and stay there eating and drinking whatever they give to you. For the worker deserves his wages. And when you enter that town and are welcomed, eat whatever is offered to you. Maybe you've heard uh, stories from people who go on mission trips and they wrestled with this verse, eat whatever is offered to you. (laughs) Jesus says, don't bring extra stuff. Don't be weighed down. You're going to have everything you need. Don't worry. You're going to be taken care of. And Jesus says, first of all, you're going to earn your keep. The work you're doing is so important that you're going to deserve and earn everything you get in terms of care and provision along the way. And Jesus says, even more importantly, perhaps, the God you serve is a God of provision and plenty, and you will truly have everything that you truly need. The conditions you'll encounter won't necessarily be pleasant, might at times be very difficult, you might feel like sheep among wolves, but you won't be without a shepherd who is watching you from a distance, caring for you. You won't be without God who's providing for your every need. And Jesus says, you will encounter people of peace who welcome you and who will, who will provide for you and sustain you in your journey and your mission as well. And then third, we see that when God sends us out into mission, it's an essential one. We see what will be provided for. And we also see that our mission will always result in the blessing of other people. When we go out as the church, other people will be blessed or are certainly meant and intended to be blessed. Heal the sick who are there. Tell them that the kingdom of God has come near to you. In other words, Jesus says, the things you've seen me doing, you should do when you go. Teaching, preaching, and healing, we can think of as kind of the big three activities of Jesus' ministry. And these are what his disciples are sent out to do as well. To preach and teach about the kingdom of God and to demonstrate the love and power of God by healing as they go. So Jesus sends these 72 out. And basically he says, um, you know, your needs are going to be met adequately. You'll be fine. You don't even have to worry about your needs. In fact, your own needs will become so well taken care of that you get to and need to focus on the needs of the people around you. After encountering the church dispersed, people are meant to be blessed and healed and enlightened. Heal, preach, and teach, Jesus says. Heal, preach, and teach. Repeat. And so if the community isn't blessed, healed, and enlightened, something's wrong. Somehow the church dispersed isn't doing its job. Something's off kilter. I've heard, a church, uh, I've heard a question posed to congregations that if your church, if your church community, a community like this one, were suddenly to disappear, you would feel incredible loss. What would the loss to your neighbors be? If Bethany Covenant suddenly disappeared off this part of Mill Street, how would our neighbors lose out? This blessing of community has always been a part of God's plan through God's people. When God called Abraham, he said, I'm going to make you and your family into a mighty nation. Oh, and by the way, the purpose is so that every nation on earth will be blessed through you. 
These ripple effects of God's people were always intended to be deeply profound. So this is why the prophet Isaiah, in the passage we heard read this morning, was sent by God to tell God's people that somehow along the way, their ideas of worship had gotten twisted and they had gotten off track. Somehow the people thought that they worshiped a God who was a formulaic God, that if they did X plus Y, then Z would, would result. They thought, if we fast and pray, God will give us what we want. And God, speaking through Isaiah, reminded them, actually, no, the, the purpose of fasting is for you to prepare yourselves to be disciplined enough to be used by me in the mission I'm sending you on. Fasting fuels humility that prepares the people for the mission. Is not this the kind of fasting I have chosen, the prophet says, to loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free and to break every yoke? Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter? When you see the naked, to clothe them and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood. Our fasting, which is, you can think of as shorthand for our religious acts, the stuff we do as disciplines, are always meant to result eventually in someone else being blessed. The actual act may prepare us, but we're being prepared to bless others. And this is what James wrote about to the New Testament church in this passage we also heard read. As the church was still trying to figure out what it meant to be faithful people and what pure religion was supposed to look like. James says, those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves, and their religion is worthless. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. So this, these acts of watching our tongues and caring for widows and looking out for the needs of orphans, remaining pure in a world that in so many ways is opposed to the ways of God, these are things that typically don't happen in a space like this when we are gathered together. They usually happen outside the church building. That's usually where we have to watch our tongues and care for those in need and keep ourselves pure from a world that's opposed to the ways of God. These are acts of the church dispersed, the church sent on mission into the world. This past Thursday, earlier this week, my wife Christy and I had the opportunity to be up at Pilgrim Pines, and we were so thankful that uh, family camp up at Pilgrim Pines was able to be resumed after severe storm damage this past week, and they will meet this coming week as well. And we were there Thursday morning for Bible study. Uh, pastors of the week last week were, were Nick and Karen Munn, who co-pastor at Indian Orchard Covenant Church up in Springfield, Massachusetts. And Nick was actually preaching or teaching on this passage from Isaiah 58. And I loved how he talked about how it's two sides of a coin that are presented here to God's people. That the prophet is talking about both holiness and righteousness, and they're both important. They're both essential. Holiness is when we gather. It's differentness. It's the way he said it. It's why we're in a room like this on a Sunday morning when many aren't. We choose to try to set ourselves apart for God's purposes, to attend to the word of God, to be faithful in prayer and worship, and to meeting, be meeting together, as the writer of Hebrews says. 
But Isaiah says that's not the end of the story, and that's not even the ultimate point. You are made holy, you're purified, so that your righteousness might shine, and your righteousness, your rightness among your relationships with the people of this world are reflected in these other acts. When we work for justice and removal of oppression and feeding the hungry and clothing those in need and caring for widows and orphans. Holiness is the work of the church gathered. Righteousness and the blessing of those around us is the mission of the church dispersed. It's this breathing rhythm I mentioned earlier, contraction, gathering, expansion, and being sent. We gather and worship. It's essential, and we are blessed by it. We find ourselves energized, built up, equipped, encouraged, and then we're sent out. And I can only imagine the different number of different places this group here will find ourselves in the week ahead. It's going to be thousands of different places this group finds itself in in these next seven days. And we'll have opportunities to bless there, to expend ourselves on behalf of other people. And at times, that kingdom work can be tiring. It's difficult. It's challenging. It's not easy to empty ourselves. We come back in this time of gathering to be refilled and energized. But we also discover that the God whom we worship here in this building is also out there. We discover that as we go in God's name, he is there with us. God's spirit is there working through us. And Christ himself is among those whom we serve. Jesus once told his friends, whatever you do to serve even the least of those among you, you've done to me. Here at Bethany, we connect and we serve so that generations discover and experience the transforming love in God. We do this, this rhythm, we connect, we gather, and we serve, we go, and we have purpose. It's so that more people across more generations will truly discover and experience God's transforming love. And so when we name this, we confess if this isn't happening, something's off, something's not quite right. Our connection and our service take many forms. Sometimes we serve together, but often it's when we're dispersed. And when we're apart, we're still Bethany people, and more importantly, we're still disciples of Jesus Christ. We're still the church. We just happen to be dispersed and into our neighborhoods. We're in our homes and schools and workplaces as the church of Jesus. And even when we're apart, we seek to stay connected. We pray for each other. We reach out. We care for each other. We call each other. And so sometimes the lines blur whether we're together or apart, but it's all meant to be part of our life together. Jesus said the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. And so as we go and do our part, we recognize there's way more work than we can possibly do. So we connect. We engage with ministry partners Mission partners, like the missionaries, will have an opportunity to uh, send notes to later in the service in just a few minutes. Those of us who have placed our faith in Jesus Christ know that, that we've been on the receiving end of this, that we've discovered and experienced God's transforming love. It's made a difference in our own lives. And so we take our place to live into this calling that, that others might experience that love as well. Most of these opportunities will happen outside our doors. And so by the grace and power of God at work in and through us as we go, may more and more people experience exactly this, God's transforming, saving love through Jesus. Would you pray with me?
good and loving God, we thank you for meeting us here as we gather in this place. Thank you for hearing our prayers, our praises. Thank you for speaking to our hearts. And God, thank you that you will send us out from this place, not as sheep without a shepherd, but as disciples of Jesus, charged with a mission, empowered by your Holy Spirit to accomplish it. God, as we go, would you keep our eyes on Jesus and our hearts fixed on you? Amen.